Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in this day after another week, after another week may be filled with busyness, may be filled with joy, may be filled with pain or sorrow. You know our hearts. Lord, but we pray that each of us would come here together, that we would put aside the experiences of this week, that we would reach out to you, that we would be open to your Spirit speaking to our lives, that you would be able, through your word, to minister to our needs, to provide for our needs, and to uplift and encourage us through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the power of your Son, Jesus, and through your almighty name. All these things we thank thee for and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to read today from Acts chapter 3. Whenever, whenever I pick a scripture, it's, it's sometimes difficult because I think, oh, I, I remember but one of the brothers preached on this uh, quote recently, although um, I had this experience last night with Andrew, and we were talking about something that happened in sports, and I said, oh, I remember that happened relatively recently, like, I don't know, within the last 10 years. And so I looked it up, and of course it happened 30 years ago, but it seemed, seemed recent to me. But today I'd like to read from Acts chapter 3, um, because it encouraged me. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the ninth hour of prayer, at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. So this is about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. This is the time when the daily sacrifice was made at the temple. And of course, if I, I step back here farther, the setting here is shortly after the day of Pentecost when the apostles have received the Holy Spirit and Peter has preached a sermon that brought 3,000 people to the Lord. So Peter and John went up to the temple and a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So this man had been lame from the time of his birth. And every day, he had some people who carried him to the temple to ask alms so that he could ask for a donation, for a charitable deduction, or not deduction back then, but charitable donation of those that came to enter the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Walk. 
And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they know that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the, temp in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murder to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life, whom God had raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before you was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people." Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities." Forgive me, Josh, but once more I'm going to uh, steal your, your famous, uh, famous inspiration timeline from camp. Why are you here? Why did you come to church today? In the U.S., over the last 25 years, 40 million people have left church 
That's 12% of the entire population in the United States. And yet, for some reason, you are here today. Maybe you came here for the preaching, right? People come to church because we have, we have great preachers. Sorry to be the exception there. We have great speakers. We are inspired. The Word of God says, though, the Apostle Paul speaking in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 21 says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew God, not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So I hate to disappoint you, but uh, preaching, according to God's word, is foolishness. Maybe, maybe you're here for prayer. Maybe you'd like prayer for you. Maybe you're here to pray for others. God himself called his house a house of prayer for all people, speaking through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 65, 7. Even then, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Perhaps you're here for the singing. Years ago, TV show, The Waltons, The pastor was absent, asked John Boy to preach. John Boy went around, asked everyone from his family why they were there at church. His grandfather said the reason he came to church was for the singing. When he came for the singing, he was encouraged and he was happy. It made him happy. He came for the singing. We know according to Ephesians 5.19, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We know that's an important part of worship, is singing. Maybe you're here for the food. You know, in our circles, of course, uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that when our people get together, whether it's for a wedding or for any type of meal, that we are going to be well-filled, that we are going to be taken care of, and the food's not going to be mediocre. It's going to be excellent. We know even in the, uh, if we look at the early apostles, not only did they break bread from house to house, which of course refers to, to communion, to taking the Lord's Supper together, but they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They ate their meals together. 
So closely related to that, of course, here is this gladness and singleness of heart. Obviously, perhaps that was brought in by, by the food, but maybe you're actually here for fellowship or something less than fellowship. Maybe you're here for human connection or only, uh, only community. Because we know as human beings, we have this innate desire to connect to other people, to be heard by other people, to have other, to share with other people. And again, this is reflected, of course, in Acts 2.46. Again, the apostles, the early disciples, I should say, continued daily with one another in accord. Maybe you're here for the same reason as the lame man at the beautiful gate. Maybe you're here because you're destitute and you're empty. Perhaps you're physically crippled. Perhaps you're out of funds or running low on funds. Perhaps you're emotionally or spiritually bankrupt for some reason. And you're here perhaps out of desperation. Finally, Perhaps you're here out of a sense of duty or to check a box. We know in Hebrews 10.25 it says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. So perhaps you have a sense of guilt or a sense of, Well, I know, I'm, I say I'm a Christian, so um, I, I made a commitment. So I should be here. But today, is, as we discussed in Bible class, is about more than a commitment. It's about a covenant, the covenant with God and his son Jesus, and perhaps even the covenant that we need to have with each other. I've been reading a lot of discouraging stuff this week. An article on why do people leave church. Number one, not surprising. Hypocrisy, scandals within the church, abuse. We see these headlines way too often. And now that we have the advanced technology as we, we have, we can... Uh, we can see them even more often and be aware of even more obscure cases. This week, there was the, uh, the story of a uh, pastor after 50 years of, uh, after he uh, killed a 
young girl that was entrusted to him to take to a, a camp meeting, a church camp meeting, finally confessed. Again, these types of things are in the news. We know that they're happening. Number one reason people leave church. Number two reason, though, almost as many, frankly, they just slip away due to the cares of this life. Article I read tried to put together some composite scenarios. Someone that was active in their, active in their church and when they were young, uh, perhaps went and participated in some type of college fellowship group and uh, perhaps married someone who was not as committed as they were to Christianity and after a child of two all of a sudden became uh, difficult on Sunday after going through the sleepless nights of uh, early uh, babyhood um, to come to church. They missed church one or two weeks because they were just bone tired and then of course Mentally, it became difficult to go back to church because then people might ask why they weren't there. And so, frankly, then they just kind of slipped over and it became easy, easier for them not to go. Another composite example given was someone who they were in the uh, midlife, had lots of responsibilities at work, spending lots of hours there and frankly were probably burned out. Had a friend that uh, invited them on Sunday, wanted to, to get together and do something fun, play golf, have brunch, and looked like a break that they needed. They uh, took the break one week and then of course, you know, they fell into that habit or for whatever reason they just slipped away and did not go back to church. Sometimes, Sometimes we think of those that have left church as perhaps, you know, they've, they've become, we, we, like, to, we like to think that there, there's, what, 30% nuns now, people that don't have any, any religion. We like to think, well, those are people that have become atheists, you know, perhaps they, they uh, got all entangled, they went to college, they got entangled with the, the philosophies of this world, they... Uh, you know, they've intellectually reasoned away the, the scriptures and that they've chosen to uh, defect from God and church. And perhaps that's true. There's cases like that. But in something else I read this week, if you have, uh, if you divide the nuns, those that 
no longer attend church or have any religious, quote, religion. If you divide them into fifths, they'll have one-fifth atheists, don't believe, one-fifth agnostics, not sure whether they believe or not, and you have three-fifths, though, 60% of those that just, again, slipped away. And they're not the most of them are not the intellectuals of this world, the rich. On average they make less than they make fifty thousand dollars a year or less. On average they have less education. On average they're more like the man at the gate. So I've asked you why you're, you're here. I hope you considered that. But perhaps the bigger question is, why are we here? Going back to Hebrews 10.25b, the rest of the verse. But exhorting, that is, encouraging one another, and so much more as ye see the day approaching. So while you may have all kinds of personal reasons for being here, when we come together as a body of believers, we need to focus in on is why are we here? What does it mean to ask why we are here? Why do we have preaching? Back to 1 Corinthians 1.22 for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So we aren't here, preaching is not here for people to receive miraculous signs. Here today in our scripture, we, we see that they did receive a miraculous sign. Preaching is not here to satisfy the wisdom of the world. The, to satisfy those who come seeking earthly wisdom or philosophies. Preaching is here to preach Christ, him crucified. As Paul says, to the Jews, he was a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, he was foolishness. But unto them which are called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What I say as a preacher is not important. 
It's what the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart while you're sitting here. And preaching is not a solitary activity. Preaching is a we activity. We are here to preach. Each of us is here to preach. Again, Hebrews 10.25, encouraging, exhorting one another. So much more as you see the day approaching. I think we all see the day approaching. I think we all see that there are needs. Preaching is not a solitary effort. We are all preaching, not only here, but in our daily lives. What about prayer? Is prayer a solitary effort? We know that Jesus would rise up early or stay up late praying. So in some ways, it's very, it can be a solitary activity. But when we talk about praying at church, we are talking about a we activity, why we are here. We are here to pray. Acts 1.14, the early disciples, before the Holy Spirit even came, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Prayer together. We know that when Peter was in prison, the whole church came together to pray for him. What about singing? Is singing a solitary effort? Perhaps you are here to sing. But what really makes the singing great is when we sing together. It's when we harmonize together, when we lift our voices together. You know, often we talk about in the uh, corporate world, we talk about synergy, synergy, how if we put things to get to, uh, together just right, that two plus two will not equal four, but will somehow equal greater than the parts, will somehow equal five, right? When we sing together, I think this is something that we can all feel. When a group of us are together singing, we feel the presence of God, we feel the body of believers coming together and being united. When my father was ready to be shipped out to the Korean War, he was stationed with Brother Ger Ed Gerhardt. And on Sunday, they used to go off together. They had time, a given time on Sunday, they went out, they went to the baseball field, they went to the dugout, and they pulled out a hymnal and they sang together. The two of them by themselves while they were waiting to be shipped off to the Korean War. Singing together as a we is a reason we want to come together at church. 
What about food and fellowship? Recently, I read the story of a food critic who was offered the chance of a lifetime to fly to Europe and to uh, partake of a, of, a, of a meal prepared by a uh, multi-starred Michelin chef. She thought it was going to be the greatest experience of her life. She was looking forward to this. She got there, the food was excellent, and she came home. Somebody asked her if it was the greatest meal of her life. She said, no, I ate it by myself. There was no one there. I've had many better meals with other people. Perhaps you're here like the lame man because you are lacking something. How do we, as a church, how do we fulfill these needs? Peter and John, obviously here, were given the power to work a miracle here. Many times, we as a church, though, we don't have to work these, this kind of spiritual miracle, in a sense. However, there are other ways that God used the other church to work miracles. In Acts 6, we read about how some of the widow's needs were not being met. They appointed a group of believers, of brothers, to oversee this to make sure that the daily needs of the widows were met. Obviously, this must have been important because they even laid hands on them and prayed over them just to meet the physical needs of the congregation. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, talks about how the Apostle Paul encouraged the Corinthians to give. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And we notice that Paul often recounted how these gifts that people had given for his support, for his ministry, how as a group of believers they came together and they supported him financially. I truly don't believe that the church, that the body of Christ, is losing people because there aren't needs. The spiritual needs of people are still there. The material needs of people are still there. The emotional needs of people are still there. I don't believe that 
The church is losing people because human philosophy is winning. I think most of us that have lived long enough have seen that the human solutions to mankind's problems have mostly failed over our lifetimes. I don't believe that the church is losing people because we as a church don't care. But I think we all need to look at our lives and ask ourselves, Why am I coming to church? And are we in danger of just checking a box? I think we need to ask ourselves the question about, is it really about me or I, or is church really about we? Over 50 years ago, when I was about 10 years, oh, I was one of the, okay, sorry. When I was uh, about 10 years old, I'll go with that, when I made my youngest brother about five, family moved in across the street from our home. We had four boys in our household. This family moved in with four boys also and another one on the way. My mom and my aunt went and introduced themselves. And they were moved with compassion by what they saw. An overwhelmed mother whose husband traveled frequently for work with four boys and a fifth one on the way, eventually to have six. The marriage relationship was not that great, as you may have expected. 
But my mother and my aunt did what they could. They helped out with the children. They tried to provide food, groceries when they moved in, and more importantly, they saw this woman's spiritual needs. And they invited her to church. They also met with her, they prayed with her, they read the Bible with her, they discussed the scriptures with her, and although at one time she had came from a church background, she was not, she was ready to come back, to return to church. She came to our church And in spite of her husband's objections, she decided she wanted to make our church her home. And she asked to be baptized. She gave her testimony about how the Lord Lord had worked in her heart, how the word had worked in her heart, how not just my mom and my aunt, but how the church as a body of believers had came around her and supported her in this time of need. Today I do not know where she is, but I firmly believe that one day in heaven, I will see her there. And it won't be because of me. Won't be because of my mom or my aunt. But it will be because of the church. It will be because a bunch of believers came to church, not only because they believed they had needs, but they believed that as a church, they could proclaim the name of Jesus, that they could share Jesus with the world, and that those who were seeking, those who still needed something, those who were empty, could find salvation through him, and that they could rejoice together as believers in the Lord. May God bless his word.